Alrighty, guys. Welcome back to Brolosophy. Philosophy through the eyes of an idiot. That idiot is me. And that idiot is proudly supported by Yeti. So why is Yeti worth it, guys? It's a premium cooler company. Their coolers are, let's be honest, more expensive than the rest of the shitty coolers on the market. So why is Yeti worth it? Well, firstly, you get what you pay for. A high-quality cooler that you never have to replace. Guys, everything that you buy in this day and age is crap. We are consumers. We are not owners. We consume things, products, clothing, um, services. So that's a bad example. But we are not owners. So a cooler like a Yeti cooler is something that you can own for a long time and you'll never have to consume another one, if that makes sense. Superior insulation. A freezer quality gasket and supreme insulation power join forces to deliver unmatched heat and ice retention. So, everybody's been at that party where the beers have gone cold. Oh, damn it. All right, let me rephrase that. Everyone's gone to that party where the beers have gone warm and, uh, you know, you won't be going back to that party the next year. Let's be honest. There's nothing worse. So, superior insulation from Yeti. Um, that's, you know, another reason why Yeti's worth it. They're virtually indestructible. This one I really like, guys. So, Yeti have told me 100% straight down the line that these cools have been attacked by bears, chucked out of moving trucks, hit by semis, dropped out of planes, and are still game for more. Now, I've been working with my mate Clay at Yeti, who, uh, who, who, who's my you know, touch point down there, and I've been asking him every week that I want proof of Yeti coolers versus bears. And I'm not sure if it's, you know, three or four Yeti coolers versus a bear. It says bears here. I would actually really think that one bear versus, it would take probably five Yeti coolers to, to beat a bear, I would say. But look, I, well, I, I'm still trying to clarify this this because I don't want to bullshit you guys. You know, I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes. It, it says that these coolers have been attacked by bears and, you know, and they're, they're game for more. So I'm working hard to get you the proof that you need. Um, and, you know, stay tuned. Maybe in the next couple of weeks, I'll have something for you on that one. So, five-year warranty on all hard coolers. Proof that our, their products live up to their customers' expectations. Good, good. To learn more about Yeti, guys, head to yeti.com.au forward slash bro. We are also brought to you today by True Protein. Head to trueprotein.com.au forward slash bro, and you'll get 10% off all of their supplement range. I'm not going to do a big read on True Protein. They've been a sponsor of us for a very long time. If you've listened to this show before, you've probably heard me say it a number of different occasions. And that is that they are simply the best in the business. So we love being supported by the best in the business. Yeti are the best in the business. True Protein are the best in the business. And that makes for us for very, very good business. Also, head to athena.co for 20 hours free of our virtual assistant services. So... Guys, basically, what is a virtual... Oh, damn it, Siri. Siri keeps jumping in and trying to tell me what's up. Um, so what are virtual assistant services? So I actually despise the term virtual assistant, but for lack of a better term, we're going to use it. It's our search term. It's the, it's the common term that would refer to what we do, but I really don't like it. Virtual assistants... A virtual assistant is somebody who works inside of your company from abroad. So basically the reason why people would do this is when you're growing a young company, it's hard to scale your team. Um, you know, it's hard to be a startup and be one, two years in, whatever, and have money to fork out fifty, seventy thousand dollars to grow your team. So that's where we come in. We can help you grow a team member in a quarter of the price, really. And but we don't deal in virtual assistants. That's for lack of a better term, that's what we do, but we really don't. We actually deal in just putting a really talented part-time or full-time team member into your business, and they might be an administrative assistant, they might be a content producer, they might be um, someone who's in HR, they might be a business development manager. The term virtual assistant is a bullshit term. It devalues the person that is on the other end that's working. It's the term that is frowned upon, Unfortunately, for us to grow as a company, we need to dominate that search term in Google. But as soon as somebody becomes a client with us, I tell them to scrap that term, delete it from their vocabulary as soon as humanly possible because it's just, it's bullshit. People work virtually all over the world now. And I'm not only talking about people in underprivileged countries, 
people in Australia, people in the US, people in the United, uh, United Kingdom, they work remotely and they're no different to anyone else. So um, the term virtual assistant just needs to be trampled on and, and squished and squashed and scratched out of it. But to get 20 hours free of virtual assistants, head to athena.co, that's Athena with a Y, and in the inquiry box, put the code BRO and you will activate your 20-hour um, trial. So anyway, here's the show. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one, no touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. All right. Well, we're rolling. All right. Let's well, go. Well, all right. Welcome <laughs> back to uh, this is the Brolosophy podcast. So I've got Zoe Nicholson uh, with me from um, Love What You Eat. Now, uh, Zoe, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about yourself, what fires you up, what are you, what are you passionate about? Cool. Okay. So, um, I'm a, a dietitian by profession, um, so an accredited practicing dietitian. Um, we're also accredited nutritionists. So, I've been doing this for, this is my 15th year now of doing this. I run a private practice called Love What You Eat and consult mainly one-on-one, but um, do some, some talks and presentations as well. Uh, but what really fires me up is diet culture mm-hmm. and um, the overemphasis on nutrition mm-hmm. when it comes to health and the overemphasis. So the, the sort of narrowing down of health, mm-hmm. of the way that we now are conditioned to think, the, the things that we need to do to manage our health, and a lot of that is um, rather misguided. So that's what fires me up from a, a work point of view. I don't know whether you want to know. What oh, me about <laughs> no, again, if you want, you can tell me about the bloke who cut you off today on the way here, or you know, you can, you can do it all. But um, all right, that's good though. That's a, that gives us you know something to go off. So um, where did it all start for you? With you know, why did you want to get into diet? diet is it called dietetics? Is that dietetics? What dietetics. Yeah, yeah. I always stuff that word up. Yeah, that's actually an excellent question because what got me into dietetics is the very thing I'm almost, fighting is the right word, but sort Mm -hmm. of, you know. You can say it. (laughs) um, Sort of advocating to get people to see that that's the wrong way to go about nutrition. So Mm -hmm. um, to cut a long story short, in high school, um, I did have some issues around food and that's really common with uh, dietitians. A lot of dietitians Mm -hmm. do, you know, have had a history of whether it's eating disorders or disordered eating. Mm -hmm. Um, Mine stemmed from a being put on a diet for acne. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been in a a small body. Mm -hmm. I went on this diet and I lost some weight. And even back then, so when I was in high school, so early, early 90s, and that got me a lot of attention. And girls started asking me, you know, what, you know, uh, uh, what do you eat? And I sort of got this notion that, oh, I'm getting all this attention. Mm. You know, I've lost some weight. Doing um, something right. I'm running around in my little netball mm. skirt. Yeah, I must be doing something mm. right. Uh, and then that sort of got me thinking about, oh, I could become a dietitian. Um, anyway, that's, I, I did go down that path eventually, but straight out of school, I went to uni and actually discovered the rave scene and then got <laughs> out of uni very quickly. Lost a bit more weight <laughs> along the way. <laughs> did a couple of, a couple of years. I, I, lost, uh, I lost 13 kilograms on a South America trip one year and that wasn't on a diet. But Anyway, I ended up um, travelling the world and doing all of those things, which is brilliant, and then went back to uni when I was a little bit older. Um, I came out of uni with this idea that I could help people feel better in their bodies. And part of that feeling better in your body was... Um, if you were worried about your weight, maybe you could reduce your weight. But I was really, my thing was you can do this without dieting. Like you shouldn't have to restrict food. You mm. should be able to enjoy all food. Um, so right from the get-go, I've sort of been against this, um, the extremeness that's that's around food and yeah. wellness, which has only got worse over the last 15 years. Mm. Um, so for the first 10 years of my practice, that's, that's the way I practice. I was trying not to be too weight-focused 
And I learned that fairly quickly because I saw how distressed people became around that. Mm-hmm. I also saw how my clients would follow the meal plan I was giving them and they'd be, you know, they'd be eating really well and they'd be active and most of them weren't losing the amount of weight that supposedly, quote unquote, you know, they should be losing. Yeah. Um, and how, you know, and how that upset them, the shame that they experienced from that. So I kind of took a, a as much as possible, took the focus off weight. But there was still this underlying message that if you, you know, you can eat everything, mm-hmm. but not too much, and make sure you're moving enough. And if we can get you happy with your body, you'll be happy with your life. So, um, fortunately, ten years into my practice, so about five years ago now, I got introduced um, by another dietitian in Australia to something that was called, or something that is called, the non-diet approach. Mm-hmm. Um, she kind of cornered me at a conference, and she's like, "Zoe, <laughs> I want to tell you about this new diet. <laughs> I, I, it's I, called you know, the non-diet." <laughs> that's it. I, you know, I've seen what you've been posting. So this is, what are we in 2019? So 2014. So the internet, like Facebook, that kind of thing was starting to happen. So I was dabbling with Instagram. posting. Instagram. I think worst, it, was, it was more Facebook worst. then. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Fiona could see the things that I was posting. She's like, this, I think you need to look into this. And I remember sort of looking over some of her stuff and going, how am I already doing that? Um, Of course I wasn't. And Mm -hmm. it was, I think it was the next year, I was just desperately searching for some CPD, which is continued professional development that professionals have to do. Mm -hmm. And then I came across, Fiona was doing these workshops and I'm like, okay, that's it. I need need to do something and it looks interesting. Um, And I ordered the book that... um, that we needed to get to do mm-hmm, the to mm-hmm. do the accompany the, the accompany the course yep, the workshop. That's correct. <coughs> and I started reading it, and it was just like the penny dropped, um, and I just opened my eyes, and I suddenly realised that okay, I need to stop focusing on weight, mm-hmm. um, and need to take a different approach to to helping people manage their health, like pleasure from food, enjoyment from food, and getting people to stop worrying about food in the in the context of their weight and their body mm-hmm. is so important and even though I felt like I was kind of doing that I was still dangling the carrot yeah the, like as I said before this idea that oh if you just eat a bit less and move a bit more you can achieve this but um it's just that same message y- yeah oh that's that's interesting so um so what when you were moving it from um when you're moving it from a weight-based approach like what were the things that you would have as your mm, Key performance indicators, I guess. Like, what, what, what did you move it to? Like, what is the new model? Well, part one of the, the hooks, if you like, <coughs> that got me into looking, you know, shifting my focus was one of the things that Fiona says um, is, have you got evidence to show that what you're doing helps people lose weight and keep it off long term? Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, nobody does. There is yeah. no evidence in the world. There's no known way to actually help people lose weight and keep it off long term. If we had the answers, then everyone would be doing it. And, yeah. You know, perhaps we'd be a nation of thin All people. the fad diets would have fallen <laughs> off long ago. Exactly. If there was an so that made trick. me really take a good hard look at myself mm-hmm. and go, actually, yes, I know I've helped people lose X amount of weight, but most of these people are calling me back two years later, five years later, seven years later. What's the new thing? They've put the weight back on. Yeah. Can you help me again? Yeah. Um, so my thinking, it took a, a, I call it a transition when I'm talking to sort of younger dietitians about how I, how I transitioned. It went from, you know, weight loss to weight control to weight management to just dropping weight from the picture completely. Yeah. But I think it takes, a, in our own minds and certainly for the clients I tell you, it takes, it takes a while to shift that thinking. We're so conditioned to believe that how much we weigh or our weight is important. We're so conditioned to believe mm. that being at a higher body weight is actually unhealthy mm. um, or that losing weight is healthy. Yeah. So, um, so uh, talk to me more about, say, say for example, somebody comes in, somebody, because I was in the fitness industry for a little bit and, and even without being in the fitness industry, you know that people go to gyms and go to dietitians and so, so on and so forth because they want to, if it's a guy, they want to, sometimes put on weight and look better and you know be more jacked and whatever and if it's a girl they want to get tone and lose a bunch of weight that's normally what yep. people walk in the door f- from so and i used to i did crossfit for a couple of years there and i coached it for a little while um and i really kind of i don't like a lot of what crossfit do but i liked what they did in in i think they got people they sold them on they sold them on weight loss and 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 
body gains or whatever and they held them with performance uh which was you know like how quick can how fit are you how how good how many how many new skills do you have so how have you structured say somebody walks in the door let's do an example say somebody walks in the door and they're a little heavier and they're not happy with that part of their life and they say hey zoe i want to lose weight because i'm sure that's what a lot of them a lot of them will say and then so what is the what is what is it at the end, what is the, the finished product? Or not the, the continued success that they get? Yeah, I just realised okay. I, I didn't answer your earlier question. Yeah. No, it's I told right. you I could waffle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just go off on tangents. I just asked the same question again, but I took 45 <laughs> seconds to say it, so don't worry, I'm waffling too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it's using different measures of health, if mm-hmm. you like. So, um, and sort of <coughs> redefining what we mean by the word results. Yeah. Um, so health behaviours is one thing we can look at. And one thing I always like to point out, which often sort of gets people, you know, slightly mind, mind boggled the first time I say it, but weight is not a behaviour. So we can measure health behaviours. Has someone, is someone eating a more nutritious diet? Um, is someone feeling better in their body, their, yeah. their sense of self-worth? Are they uh, much less preoccupied? Are preoccupied with food so these are all things that I would measure mm-hmm. and there's a particular scale that I'll tell you about in a moment that we can use to measure that um, but it's really focusing on um, health behaviors as opposed to that weight as a as, yeah. a, as a you know you've lost weight all. therefore that's your that's your outcome yeah um, so most people that come to see me are um, mildly to mostly highly distressed about their eating they've developed the a preoccupation or almost obsession with food yeah. and body as well. So um, there's actually some scaling questions I use, which are quite interesting. So, and I, I ask these again as a way to, to measure change as well. But I would say on a scale of one to ten, where one is you know low or awful, if you like, and yeah. ten is just good enough, you know, okay in the sense that there's no perfection when it mm-hmm. comes to being human. Mm-hmm. And I ask people to rate on that scale of one to ten their relationship with food, how they feel about their body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their overall, eat, their overall eating habits, how they view those. Yeah. Um, most people that come to see me actually eat well enough. Yeah. They think they don't think they eat well enough because they're comparing it to the quote-unquote wellness industry, which has taken things to the extreme, or various you know rigid extreme diets, mm-hmm. um, or because they feel like there's something wrong with their body, so therefore they must be doing something wrong with their with their eating. So after a period of working with someone, um, there's a scale I use called the intuitive eating scale. So Mm -hmm. it's a validated psychology tool. Um, Most people, when I first see them, are um, sort of down the lower end of the scale. And as we work through the process, as they're they're healing their relationship with food and body, so they're feeling calmer about food, that mental preoccupation, um, and the, the, the distress or stress, the anxiety is easing, you see their score go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, if they've got things like uh, metabolic risk factors, whether it's blood sugar, cholesterol, um, sometimes you can see a change in those things as well. Um, in terms of an actual change to people's diet, as I said, most people that see me actually eat pretty well. There mm. may be some emotion, emotional eating mm-hmm. or they might find themselves overeating at times. So that would be another measure where their diet may not change all that much you know, in terms of its variety or pattern, um, but their the problematic emotional eating, because there's normal healthy emotional eating, um, and the overeating, which feels uncomfortable or (laughs) (laughs) is is stressing them out, that that tends to drop off. That's not a nice position to be in. Yeah. I do see some people whose eating patterns are actually very chaotic. So they go long periods without eating. Really? Um, And then gouge themselves? Yeah. Really? I don't know how interested you are in the science behind why that happens. Oh, I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> I was actually um, having a giggle thinking about, sorry, I don't know why I giggled then, but I kind of giggled when you said um, the healthy emotional eating. Yes. And is that just like the celebratory like box of box of tissues or like the watching the notebook on Netflix and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chocolate, just, block of chocolate? I, and <laughs> yeah. So I'd say the, the healthy emotional eating is enjoying food simply for the pleasure of that food oh, it may yeah. be driven by an emotion cheat of, meal or just like for the sake food for the sake of it for in, yeah, a, in a good and it might be in a social situation so yeah. you're catching up with friends yeah. and you're, you're, you're having a good time with your friends you might not be that hungry but you want to you know drink some wine and Eat have some a nice cheese, cheese platter yeah, yeah. exactly um, I just heard you use the term cheat day yeah you don't like that? I don't like that term. Nah, how come? Because that implies you've got something to cheat from. If, yeah. Yeah, what are you... Cheating the diet. Cheating. Well, yeah. when you have a non-diet, <laughs> every day is a cheat day. <laughs> so what I, what I say, I often say to my clients, with this approach, 
there's no wagon to fall off. Mm. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah. So, okay. So, if someone was to get really good results, if you, you looking at it, if, you, if, some, if this person that came in that I used as an example and they said, hey, I want to I lose weight, I feel really unhappy, blah, 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 I've walked through the door. And then in six months' time, what's a good result for you? Is it just, I feel like with all these data points that you take, is it just an overall happiness across the board? More energy, better general wellness that, that is the good result or like... It's, it's probably more psychology-based, yeah. actually. I mean, there, there's certainly a physical element to it. So if a person is, is overeating or getting over-hungry, um, yeah, there, there's definitely a physiological, phys- physical element to it, but there's a huge psychological component. So I, I, I know someone's turned a corner. I feel like they're close to turning a corner. When they come in, they say to me, I'm just not thinking about food anymore. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the people I see, they wake up in the morning and they're just thinking about what they're going to, you know, every calorie they're going to eat for the day. Oh, or, really? Or, you know, you know, what should they, you know, quote unquote, yeah. should they be eating? What should they be eating? Stressing about every morsel that goes in their mouth. Exactly. That must be a terrible way yeah. to live. And a really little bit of interesting um, brain chemistry, if you like, as to why that happens is that if you're actively pursuing weight loss, so if you're on a diet which has reduced your calories to below what your body needs, which is essentially what you need to do to see weight loss happen, Mm. your body switches into famine mode. Mm. So you know you're not in a famine, but your biology doesn't know that. You know, all your cells know is there's not enough food energy right now, so they switch the body into famine mode, and there's a bunch of changes that happen, but the most profound one is the change to brain chemistry. Mm. And I say to my clients, it's the most (coughs) profound change because it's the one you notice. The other one, it affects metabolism, it affects your bodies, it gets more efficient at storing body fat, messes with appetite hormones. You don't necessarily notice that. Mm -hmm. But what people notice is they start thinking about food all the time. So Hmm. what happens when you go into famine mode, the brain... Um, increases a particular neurotransmitter called neuropeptide Y, mm-hmm. um, which makes you think about food more. Food looks better, smells better, tastes better. Oh, wow. Particularly, you'll crave carbohydrates. That's fascinating. Yeah. And so body- when you're on a diet, <laughs> your body actually fights against you. Yes. Your body's like, hey, don't like being here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let's and, get back on that food bandwagon. Yeah. And now what we know about um, the way that the brain changes is that the more, time, the more time you spend thinking about something, your brain creates more neural pathways to make you think about it. Yeah. So already there's a particular chemical reaction in your brain that's making you think about food more and now you're laying down more neural pathways. And yeah, that's why that's people right. develop this it's a skill, kinda. preoccupation and obsession with food. And I say to my clients, that is not a lack of willpower or self-control. That's called being a successful human. Mm. If you can't starve yourself, if your body is, if your brain is doing everything within its power to make you seek out food, then your body's doing exactly what it meant to do. Mm. A lot well. of people find that quite a relief to hear because they think that there's something wrong with them that they can't resist food. Yeah, and then that just normalizes them. Yeah, it lets them relax a yeah. little bit. Wow, that's really fascinating. I've always thought, um, thought in that sense in ways of like um, writing a gratitude journal and having a good morning routine and so forth with the positive stuff because I. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I'm not. I have no background in neuroscience, but uh, yeah, I think the way you think about the world is a skill, and what you're, what's in your head is a, it, it's a it, it, you train it, and it totally. becomes that's why you get. So in coming these back to what you patterns. said before, another I guess another outcome measure if you like to see that you know a, cl- a person has made progress or is in a better place than when they first came to see me is it's it's they change the way they think, so they're they're now feeling more calm and relaxed about their eating. They're f- feeling better within themselves. Body image is a huge component. Mm. So often the distress people feel about their body is actually much greater than the distress around food. Or it's mm. almost like alleviating the stress around food is much easier than alleviating the body image distress. Yeah. Um, so. And when does that stuff start? Do you think is that stuff that is that stuff that starts really really early and is really yeah. ingrained? Yeah. And that's why it's so hard to shake. Yeah. So we. Um, you know, our culture has a really strong weight bias. Yeah. So we are, we're born into a culture where we're um, conditioned to believe that thin is good and fat is bad. Mm. You know, we have, we're, it's a very fat phobic world and we, mm. in, we have um, what is called internalized fat phobia. There's, you know, a real fear of gaining weight or, or being fat. Yeah, well, avocados and omega-3s are still paying for it. For the, <laughs> for, the, uh, for the for the for the branding of fat, you okay. know, no, but you know the yeah. like fat. Do you know what I mean by that? 
like no, fat no, being, but fat, fat being, you know, such a bad, such a bad connotation. Yeah. And the fact that avocados and healthy nuts and stuff are are, are, yeah. are, a, are a fat, you know, that's why it's always, um, yeah, just been bad branding for the poor avocados. Yeah, but there's some funny memes around about avocados. I can't recall what they are now. But <laughs> yeah. I'm sure people we'll insert some. We'll insert some. <laughs> okay. Audio cool. memes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what was I saying? In terms oh, sorry. Of I've, I've no, ruined no, your train right. of thought. <laughs> I'm still trying no, to answer that question about, you asked me. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Sorry. We're just talking about, um, you know, when all that body, um, when all that body stress. Uh, um, yeah. So, it, these days it's, starts. it starts really young. Mm. And there's so many different layers to what influences it. So, there's that cultural conditioning. Um they're obviously the media, um, but even the medical world, the mainstream medical world is very weight-centric. Um, so I work actually un- under a, a different parad- paradigm, if you like. It's called Health at Every Size. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can put links to it in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's, a, it's like an alternative to the mainstream medical paradigm where we, it, it's, not, it's focused on health behaviours as opposed to weight. Mm-hmm. So we sometimes refer to it as being weight neutral. So the health at every size model, we are getting more and more um, doctors, surgeons, physicians, uh, psychologists, dietitians, personal trainers, um, health professionals on board with it. Um, because one of the things that happens, there's still very much this belief that losing weight is necessary to improve health, despite the fact there's actually no evidence to show that losing weight improves health. Mm. Does that surprise you? What about like all the things that people say, like um, like cholesterol levels and and you know and and um, diabetes and heart. Yeah. You know, like w- where does that all that stuff come from? I'm with you. Don't worry, because yeah. there's so there's no most of what we think we know. There's no scientific backing. They're correlations to, so. and associations, but they often get taken as causation. Yeah. So that if someone is in a in a fat body or a bigger body, um, that that's the cause for their cholesterol. But there's not one disease that only people in larger bodies get. So Mm -hmm. I am a thin person and I have high cholesterol and back pain. I have to manage Mm -hmm. my back. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's this assumption that if someone is in a bigger body that their weight has caused that high cholesterol. Let's use that as the example. And Mm -hmm. they do all these beautiful studies and they change people's diets and they get them exercising. And some of them lose weight as a side effect of that and their cholesterol comes down. But did they lose weight? Did their cholesterol come down because they lost weight, or did their cholesterol come down because they changed their behaviours? Yeah. So it's like it's like weight loss keeps you know taking the taking all the glory. Yeah. When in actual fact, there are there were off, there usually are people in that study that that also have a reduction in cholesterol that don't lose weight. Yeah. Right. Interestingly, they also did a study. They looked at uh, when people have had liposuction and mm-hmm. you know thirty kilos removed, mm-hmm. their cholesterol didn't improve. Mm. because they didn't change their health behaviours. So right. Yeah, there's, a bit, there's a real blind spot when it comes to weight. And so the Western medical profession is still very invested in focusing on weight. And the issue with that is, is that even though they're doing it in a well-meaning way, mm-hmm. the issue with that is they are sending the message out there that thin is good, fat is bad. Yeah. Yeah, everyone's been sending the message out that thin is good, fat is bad. So so far to the extreme as well, you know, like the BMI, BMI. I remember Lance Franklin. You know the AFL player Lance Franklin, buddy. Yes. He's um. I follow AFL, but I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's like one of the you know larger figures in the AFL. One of the better players to play ever. Really, he's pretty pretty good football player, and he's six foot five maybe and pretty lean, mm-hmm. but like a strong athletic guy, and he was not in the healthy range in the BMI. Um, And then you look at like, um, one of the things that frustrated the shit out of me always was the catwalk model, you know, Uh, that, that uh, I think it's kind of like maybe it's, I, I don't know I don't really watch catwalk models or, or read the news or see Cleo mags these days but it was always um, it never made any sense to me that it had gone so far that you know women being that rake thing was for one attractive because I mean it looks to to the naked eye someone just it, it looks unhealthy to me I don't know um, same with figure modeling and, and and so forth on the on the stage I think it all looks ridiculous to me but it became so popular and it became the this is what's sexy, this is what's healthy. And when did that all happen? When did, Do you think that was in like the 80s, 90s? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I always so sort of tend to say that dieting on mass, like the world started dieting on mass in the late 50s gotcha. when, when Weight Watchers opened its doors. Oh, really? But dieting has Bloody been Weight around Watchers. for centuries. Yeah. So one of the first recorded diets was called the Bantam Diet, which was some dude in the... 1800s, I think, um, and it was a low-carbohydrate diet. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Same diet. <laughs> Same diet <laughs> yeah, 150 yeah. years yeah. ago. Oh, shit. Um, but, yeah, it's just, it has just got worse and worse, um, you know, certainly over, you know, the last few decades. Mm. Yeah, and, and what do you think about the whole... Um, I know that we talked about um, the wellness culture and, and when it became so popular to be thin. And, like, what do you think? Even, even the, yeah, the, the wellness industry and the fitness industry, I go to the um, health and fitness expos sometimes. Yeah. I've been to a lot of them with this show as, like, media passes and stuff like that. Um, interviewed some really cool people. But you go to the health and fitness expo and it's my idea of the polar opposite of health and fitness. Because in one corner you have the um, figure models, yeah. which to me, I mean, I like people that are passionate about something. That's fine. And it's so good on them for having a go at what they're passionate about. That's no worries. But to me, it just, it just looks ridiculous. But that's okay. That's just me. Yeah. Then there's like the bodybuilding side of things, which is like equally, if not more so in my eyes, just unhealthy and ridiculous. It's the health and fitness expo. You know, it's where people that are supposed to be able to go and get role models and find yeah. things that are healthy that, to live a, a healthy life. And then you've got like the extremes of like, you know, I train at a powerlifting gym. Heaps of my buddies are powerlifters, big meathead guys. And they're all awesome. And they're all doing what they're passionate about too. So it's fine. Live your own life. But they're all on buddy, you know, performance enhancing this, that and the other. Like it's the, the health and fitness expo is there's no health or fitness in, in the whole room yeah. and it's... I'm really it's pleased to hear you say that. Yeah, I mean, eating, some of the highest incidents of eating disorders, um, you know, certainly in the body sculpting or art mm. world. Um, and there was another one you said too that... Bodybuilding, powerlifting. Yeah, I'm not sure so much about powerlifting, but yeah. certainly in body sculpting. No, powerlifting is pretty good. Powerlifting is kind of performance-based, you know. People just yeah. want to lift heavy stuff. Oh, modelling. We were talking about modelling Mo before, yeah, so yeah, obviously yeah. eating yeah, disorders. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. Putting, um, you know, just rife in, in that industry as well. But because those people are thin, it's not seen as, seen as an issue. Mm. Um, so there's so much I want to say right now. <laughs> one say thing it all. At a time. Plenty of time. Um, <laughs> one thing I think that's important to point out is that if you've got a person who's passionate about something, and they, whether they might be doing a low-carb diet or a keto diet or they're a body sculptor, mm. if that's not interfering with their, their mental health or their, or their life, if they're still able to socialise with, uh, with their friends, mm -hmm. they're still able to enjoy food in a way that's meaningful to them, then I'm fine with that. I don't want yeah. to say that those things are wrong. No, me too. The issue is they do take what, what health means to the extreme. You don't need to do those things to be yeah. healthy. And a lot of people trying to do that become quite unhealthy. Yeah, um, that's right. Another element in that is, you know, yet, as you were saying, it's, it's not health. We've really narrowed the definition of health down to be about how we look mm. and what we're eating. And health is so much, it's a much bigger picture than that. I often talk about four pillars of health. So yes, there is physical health, um, but we have mental health, mental, mm -hmm. emotional health, social health. Mm -hmm. um, and I think most people recognize the importance of human connection. Oh. It's probably the, well, it's the, it's be, science has shown it to be the key to well-being. I'll tell you one quick thing on, yep. this, on the social <laughs> connection thing is a way that I like to look at it. The worst thing you can do to people, if someone's in jail and they yeah. muck up, we send them to solitary confinement. Yep. We go, go sit by yourself. I think that goes to your point. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, and we know isolation is one of the, the biggest killers. Yeah. Loneliness. Yep. Yep. And then the And then spiritual health. So gotcha. you, uh, which might be living a, a life according to your values. Mm -hmm. um, it might be religion if you, if you mm -hmm. have a religion. Mm -hmm. So physical health is like just one arm. You could, uh, maybe it's a quarter. And in fact, there is research that shows that our physical, sort of our, what we eat and our um, activity accounts for less than 25% of our health outcome. So yep. the social determinants of health, which encompass our mental health and our social health and our spiritual health, um, but also financial health, if mm -hmm. you like, mm -hmm. being fortunate, born into a country where that's safe, that's not war-torn, yep. like they account for at least 75%, if not more, of our health outcome. Mm -hmm. So it's like the wellness industry has really narrowed it down to be it's really not holistic. It's, uh, it's no. often a cl client say to me, they say, you're really holistic, aren't you? And I kind of cringe a little bit because the, the word holistic is hijacked. Kinda. Yeah, it's a yeah, buzzword. Yeah. Um, but yes, in a sense, this way of looking at health is much more holistic. Mm -hmm. um, the other point I wanted to make was there, you know, um, a lot of people in that wellness industry will say it's not about losing weight. So it's like weight loss has become uncool. Yeah. Dieting has certainly become uncool. Mm. So focusing on weight loss is not a thing people want to make necessarily bring attention to. Mm -hmm. So it's like the language has changed 
and it's more about like it's like a lifestyle change or it's about changing your body in a way that's maybe more fit and powerful but underneath all of that there's nothing wrong with you know feeling fitter and stronger and all of yeah. those things but in most cases underneath all that is that this idea that you know your body is going to change in a way that's going to look fit the the quote unquote ideal yeah. and that's what's going to make you feel better about yourself mm. yeah it's all kind of out of control it's all unraveled too far I, I think a little bit because the problem I think the biggest problem that we have I feel like is unfortunately not going anywhere and that's Instagram yep I feel like yeah I don't know this is just my, my opinion yeah. but I just have such a problem with you know everything influences yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I've got friends who are influencers and most of them do things in a good way you know and even the ones yeah. that don't you know I'm sure they're good people I know a lot of people that are you know got a big following and blah 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 whatever but it's just um it's just so unhealthy that everything goes off aesthetics and yeah. and how you um, I, I, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before. This is a funny, um, a funny thing that I noticed the other day. I was in a gym in Adelaide and they had, um, I, I'm not from Adelaide. I didn't know anyone in the gym and I was just kind of training by myself. And in between sets, I was bored. So I walked over and I saw the trainer's wall. It was like mm-hmm. 10 trainers and they had a photo, their bio, their, um, you know, what, they're, um, what they've studied and, and their qualifications and so forth. Then I had phone, email, Instagram handle. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, hmm why is Instagram handle on there? Like, and the reason it's on there is because everybody has a personal brand now. But yeah. it's just, that even, that is just unfair in itself. Like, that, that, that means that because you know how to light, I, I tend to believe that that means that because you know how to light a photo and you've got, you know, a big chest and, you know, you've been to the beach and got a tan, you're probably going to get more work than somebody who's equally as qualified as you. Like, it's so far, it's so far out of control and, and, yeah, it's just, it's tough to get away from. Is that, I don't know, what are your thoughts on the whole social media industry and like where, where we're at and how we get it around it? Yeah, look, so, at, you know, so there's, you know, social media for good and there's social media for evil. There's no mm-hmm. doubt that social media has been incredibly valuable and helpful in the, the, the bringing the type of work I do to a much wider mm. audience. Mm. But then there's the downside as well. So I have a, you know, a bunch of, or a handful of, um, let's say, well, yeah, 12 to 14-year-olds at the moment, girls, and they are following, um, so influencers, the, mm. the bikini models, or just photing, you know, the, the posting, the selfie in the mirror mm. and showing their abs. Mm. Um, and they're, they're, they're following these women and wanting to, you know, do what they do to be like that. And yeah. that is just a recipe for disaster in terms of, you know, that's the biggest risk factor for developing an eating disorder is dieting. Mm. Um, but just a lifetime of a disordered relationship with food and body. Mm. So, you know, most most of my clients are women. I do see some men. Um, but, and the, I, you know... Do you say 12-year-old girls or clients are 12-year-old girls? Yeah. Fire out, Not most of them. I've just got it. So yeah, yeah, a yeah. Just a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. But if I've got a few, trust me, there, there is a lot more out there. Yeah, uh, fire Yeah, out. it's a huge, it's an epidemic. Like, mm. you know, I, I don't like the word obesity at all. That's the one I often use my little air quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't have an obesity crisis. We have a, this country, and not just this country, um, rapidly the world has a body image crisis. Yeah. And a crisis of disordered eating. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's... Yeah, self-worth crisis. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like um, I like Elon Musk's uh, idea. So, um, you know Elon Musk. The name is familiar. So Elon Musk is the founder of um, Tesla and SpaceX, Uh, and PayPal. You mentioned PayPal before. He's like one of the world's best entrepreneurs, and he's changing the world, and he's great. And um, and he said that, and he has lots of money. You know, he's worth I don't know how many billion dollars. And he offered, um, he put a post out on his Twitter the other day. He deleted all his social medias actually, okay. because he thinks that they're really they're just bad. Like this conversation okay. we're having, he thinks there's no value to them. Um, but he does have Twitter for announcements. And he announced uh, to Mark Zuckerberg. He said Mark, he tagged him at Mark Zuckerberg, um, offering to buy Facebook. I'll pay you whatever you want for it. And then um, somebody asked him on stage a week after the 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 because um, he kind of trolls people a little bit mm-hmm. and they said if you did buy facebook like was that a genuine offer if you did buy facebook what would you do with it and he said simple i'd just delete it yeah and the world would be much 
much uh, much better off. Mm. So, but. That's probably not going to happen. So, <laughs> so how do we get around this then? How do we get people actually having a better, um, a better relationship with food, a better way that they look at themselves? Like, yeah. So I guess we need to, um, we need to get the government. We need to get big political bodies mm-hmm. um, understanding it and on board. <laughs> yeah, like even the Dietitians Association, uh, we're struggling somewhat, but they are coming around to the idea slowly but surely. <coughs> but there's still most dietitians, and the dieti- the Dietetics Association is still relatively weight centric. Yeah. So it's it's a big ship we're trying to turn around, mm. um, and you know it's it's happening slowly but surely. You might have seen, and I guess this is where the you know Facebook, you could argue, or social media is being used for good. So um, some of your listeners might be aware of um, it's got a number of different names, but there's the body positivity movement. Mm-hmm. That said, there is a sort of a, um, a, a sort of corrupt arm of that, if you like. Um, <laughs> fat the fat activist movement. Oh, yeah. So people in larger bodies actually who, you know, are really smart and are getting out there and saying, look, we have just as much right, um, you know, to be alive and to be respected and mm-hmm. um, and getting more and more, you know, saying that we can live a really, you know, meaningful, healthy life in this body. Uh, Tess, it's Halliday or Holiday. So she's, have you mm-hmm. heard of her? No, so I don't she's think so. A, a, probably one of the most famous women in the fat activism world. Yep. Um, and she's a, mo- she's a model. Mm-hmm. So she, Cleo, I think it was, I just saw on Facebook yesterday, just their magazine cover of the year for whether it's this year or last year. So Tess is a very large lady. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the amount of vitriol or hate mail she gets anytime she posts anything is like the yeah don't get me started but that's a change the fact that this is Clio magazine has they've you know her on the cover um, in a pair of bathers Mm -hmm. has has one magazine cover of the year so this is things are changing slowly yeah yeah so Mm, well I guess what's that saying necessity is the mother of invention I feel like we just get to the point where we stuff things up so badly that we're like right we have to fix it Um, and it would obviously probably take a while but we must be getting to that point yeah and so back to the original question again so I guess how do we address this weight is starting to acknowledge and address weight stigma and shame so one of the the arms of if you like of the health at every size paradigm is addressing weight stigma Mm-hmm. So weight stig- we know our, there's massive weight stigma out there. People in bigger bodies get judged for all sorts of things. Um, and all that does is increase shame. Now, a brilliant article came out in the British Medical Journal. So this is a mainstream medical journal, mm-hmm. highly respected, actually looking at shame as an independent risk factor for health. So that when people experience shame, and there's sort of four layers of shame, they talk about acute shame. So you go to the doctor, and my clients experience this all the time. They're they're in a bigger body, they've got a higher BMI. They go to the doctor with a sore throat. And the doctors, you know, rather than sort of maybe prescribing a medication or something to help, they're like, you know, I think we need to weigh you and, and, and maybe you need to lose some weight. So the acute mm-hmm. shame that people feel um, in that sort of situation, there's the chronic shame that people feel when they, they live in a bigger body. Um, you know, they, if it's finding clothes that fit, um, mm. if, they, if they have to ask for the seatbelt extender on an aeroplane, like yeah. just moving through a cafe. Dreading take, certain scenarios that yeah, they have to yeah. spend the day doing. Um, and then there's the social stigma or weight stigma and all of that creates shame. So shame is when you feel bad. Shame's a terrible thing to think about. Yeah, it's the that, saddest thing ever. Somebody to have yeah. shame in themselves, you yeah. know. And it's shame horrible. actually. So what this study showed is sh- is shame increases stress hormones. It actually directly impacts metabolic risk factors. So it can increase blood sugar and cholesterol yeah. and all those things. So all so we need to change public health campaigns, which are at the moment more like public shaming campaigns. Mm. Like you can imagine if you're if you're a person in a larger body and you're sitting there and you're watching the news and you see the headless fatties and they're talking about the obesity epidemic and they're mm-hmm. you know costing millions of dollars and you see these headless people walking around and they're often What do you mean headless fatties? So in the, in a yeah. like a bit of B roll and there's a people walking down the street. Yes, and oh, they'll, they'll right. show fat bodies but gotcha. they, they cut the heads off because there would have been people listening going what on earth is a headless fatty <laughs> so <laughs> i'm just doing um, that. yeah i'm just trying to trying to pull <laughs> no, them good. back into the yeah no yeah. and often they're seen eating fast food yeah and can you imagine if you were that person is that going to motivate you mm. to um you know to, to, it's going to make you going to want to go to your room and cry is what exactly. it's going to make you feel like doing yeah 
Mm, yeah, that's terrible. That's um, so with the the whole shame factor and this emotional eating that people get attached to. So, how much of it is through something that's kind of ingrained in them from their childhood? How much of it is, uh, and and kind of like another question leading on from that is like, do you? Do you see that in people and go, right, okay, there's something that is underlying here that you need to refer on to, like to a mental health practitioner and then bring them back? Like, how do you break through some of this stuff? Yeah, no, no, good question because I get to tell you about one of one of the favourite things that, that I enjoy telling my clients. So, <laughs> when people are struggling with emotional eating, I always say emotional eating is largely driven by two areas. So, there are um, heightened emotions mm-hmm. or unmet needs. Say, unmet needs... Um, just being tired, being exhausted, yep. feeling alone, like not having companionship. Yeah. Um, but heightened emotions, there certainly can be some trauma stuff going on in the background. I'll come back to that. Mm-hmm. But the other area, the other main area that drives emotional eating is dietary restriction. You know, this is to quote someone else. So I didn't actually come up with this, but um, it's brilliant. And that is, I'm yet to meet anyone who emotionally eats salad. Yeah. So we emotionally eat the food that we think we shouldn't be eating. So the first step for a lot of people, even if there is past trauma, even if there is some deeper um, unresolved things going on that are driving heightened emotions and emotional eating, the first step is to actually loosen their grip on restricting food or thinking they shouldn't be eating food. Mm-hmm. Um, because if everything, if, if everything's okay to eat, it's, it has less of a reward. Yeah. So once people have, you know, so they're eating more freely and they've got that better relationship with food, if they're still significant emotional eating because of a, a heightened emotion, which might actually, um, something happens during the day and it triggers um, an old um, memory of your life. Trauma or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in that case, so as a dietitian, not a psychologist, but I have done some postgraduate psychology. Yeah. So there are a few psychology-based techniques I can use with that person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's enough. But the, the, those psychology-based te- techniques are great to actually identify if that person does need um, to see a psychologist or further mm. therapy. So you're saying that when uh, emotional eating kicks in, that we go and we deliberately grab the Doritos and the chocolate, like, or subconscious. We don't deliberately subconsciously we go for the Doritos and the chocolate at to yeah, to, well, to what to what end? Like, so to for, because it's the most pleasurable food, or because it's what we don't yes. think we should be so, eating. So partly partly because it is pleasurable. So yeah. it's anything with a high sugar fat content um, does excite the brain because it's food. Energy. Yeah, for food sure. Is, food is. If I'm going to emotionally, <laughs> eat, I'm not going for a salad either. No, food is meant to be pleasurable, but but also because those foods are off limits, if you like. Mm. They're, they're more enticing. Yeah. Deprivation um, yeah. drives desire. It is, it's <laughs> human so nature funny. to want what you can't have. Oh, and that's shit. not just with food. That's yeah. with, you know, everything. So, yeah, and that's sure. partly to do with the dopamine reward response. And, mm. um, but if things aren't off limits, if you can eat chocolate whenever you're hungry for it, then you may still eat chocolate when you're feeling a bit emotional, but it doesn't have the same reward effect. So mm. it doesn't, you don't have the same drive to... Do you get like a little mode. dopamine kick, do you think, when you actually eat something that you shouldn't be eating? Or that you think uh, that you shouldn't be eating? It, 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 it's more of a reward. Yeah. Yeah. So you get a yeah, buzz. More. Yeah. Full on. And that's why people are addicted to food because they're addicted to that buzz, ah, just like social media so. and like heroin and ecstasy. Yeah, so there, there's lots, um, lots of driven stuff. research that's coming out that's showing the, re- the, <coughs> the addictive nature of social media is to do with the dopamine reward response. Um, yeah, the red, the red notifications. Yeah, the red notifications. Because red engages us more, it gives us more dopamine. Okay. We're like bulls. Right, you taught me something. <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> Oh, I keep doing that no. to you. Sorry, <laughs> Zoe. I'm just going to shut up. That was really important. I'm derailing. What I was about to say. Oh man, I'm derailing oh. the freaking show. That's all right. It'll come back. Yeah. Um. Um. So, so food awareness. So I think while while we try and get back on on track after I derailed us. Um. So <clears throat> after reading your um your bio somewhere online and doing a little bit of research. So, um. I remember reading that um, you like changing people's relationships with food through life experience, common sense, food awareness, and psychology. So, I mean, I think we've touched on... Well, we haven't touched on all of them, really. But, but food awareness in particular? Like, w- what do you mean by food awareness? There are people that, that are uneducated on what we can eat and how we can have a fun, good diet? Yeah. I get it. It's a very broad um, term. So, food awareness is, I guess, 
awareness of what you're eating, mm. why you're eating, how you're feeling when you're eating. So are you able to, you know, are you recognizing that you're hungry? One thing we haven't spoken about yet is intuitive eating, which mm-hmm. is the the um, the process that I use with people or the approach, if you like. Um, and intuitive eating is, for the most part, choosing to eat because you recognize you're physically hungry. So you're mm-hmm. aware, you can feel your hunger cues. Mm-hmm. Um, you eat food that you enjoy that tastes good to you. Food is meant to be pleasurable. That person yeah. that said if it tastes good must be bad for you, you know, should be shot. Um, <laughs> essentially, it was wrong. <laughs> I've cooked some mean salads that taste yeah. pretty bloody good in, in the past. And for the most part, you stop when you recognize you're comfortably full. So you have that connection to appetite or that, that awareness to be able to connect to those cues in the body. Mm-hmm. But also, I guess, just an awareness of um, what food you like to eat. Mm-hmm. So I, I work with a lot of people who, because they've done so much dieting or there's so many things they've cut out of their diet, they've almost forgotten what they like to eat. Yeah. Um, so actually Man. just learning what food floats their boat, what, what tastes good for them, what makes them feel good, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and what's possible to, like, what, what, what is still a healthy diet that they wouldn't know is healthy? Is that kind of like part of it? Yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, look, I was, you know, there's a gazillion and one different ways of eating well. Um, you know, what could be, uh, give, give you all your nutrition to one person could look very different to another person. I mean, you just look at different diets around yeah. the world. Um, you might have heard of the Blue Zones around the world. So yeah, I love the Blue Zone yeah. um, guy. I've listened to him on a podcast before. Yeah. I've got one of the books, but I haven't read it. Yeah, so these are, these are um, cities or, <coughs> or places in the world where people have particularly long life expectancy. Yep. Um, you know, you've got the Mediterranean diet, you've got the Okinawa people in Japan, you've got the uh, Lima Loma in South America, the Seventh-day Adventists in California, which are largely vegetarian, vegan, and then oh. the Inuit, which eat very little fruit and vegetables. So they're really, really different diets. Um, so, you know, nutrition doesn't happen meal to meal or food to food. It, it happens over many meals, over many days, and there's yeah. many different ways to get all your nutrition. Yeah, so and does your body adapt, obviously, to that? Because Inuit, the Inuit totally. is a good example. They just eat bloody whale blubber, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> um, yeah, so the body adapts. So the best example I can give you there is that the reason that um, vegeta- vegetarians don't have higher levels of iron deficiency than meat eaters, as a general population level, um, is that the body gets better at absorbing plant iron. So if you're a vegetarian, you're not eating meat, you get better at absorbing plant iron. Mm-hmm. So normally, meat iron is more available to our body, but if we're not eating it, our bodies are really clever. Same if we're not having a lot of dairy, our bodies will actually start absorbing more calcium from plant foods. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So how much of that food awareness has to do with the way that we've been raised on the healthy food pyramid or the unhealthy food pyramid? It's probably less to, less to do with that. Sorry, I don't know what I'm talking about, no, actually, right. so I'll just shut up. I look, I look, you know, the healthy... Well, was the, you know, when we were growing up, it was a healthy diet pyramid now. It's mm. like a plate, but I don't even know if people know, you know, that much about that anymore. Yeah. The, you know, there are some core food groups. Um, and this is... Sometimes I'll use the word whole foods, but again, whole foods is a bit like... It's a bit of a buzzword, like... Um, what was the other one we were... Oh, uh, 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 the, well, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's right. a buzzword. It's, buzzword. it's a buzzword. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so like whole foods or, or core food group foods. So you've got meats, um, meat, fish, your protein foods, you've got your dairy foods, you've got fruits, you've got vegetables, you've got grains. Now, if you're eating a variety of those foods, then there's a good chance you'll get all your nutrition. But you mm-hmm. don't have to eat from every one of those groups to get all your nutrition. Yeah. Um, I guess the, the healthy diet pyramid or the... I can't even think about the, the Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. Yep. Should know what that's called. <laughs> um, was developed. So on a population level, what we're saying is if you eat from a variety of those groups, then that's your best way to get all your nutrition. But it's their guidelines. And I think mm-hmm. people miss that sometimes. You don't necessarily have to have dairy in your diet. Yeah. You don't have to have meat in your diet. Um, yeah. Mm, and how do you eat? I eat really normally, which sort of raises the question, what does normal mean? Yeah. Most people don't eat normally today. Well, let's, let's, yeah, let's dive into what is normal or like how do you, what does your relationship with food look like? Like what, you know, just answer that question however you like, but just so people yeah. are aware, what is normal to you? So I eat a pretty simple diet if you like. I have toast for breakfast. Um, mm-hmm. I put, you know, Vegemite, jam, honey on it. Um, oh, I drink coffee. I have full cream milk because I prefer the taste of it. Uh-huh. Um, 
And I, you know, dinners are kind of meat, fish, veggies, potato. I eat quite a lot of potato. I love chips. Like if we're eating out, like yep. hot chips are a favourite of mine. Oh, I also man. like crisps. Pizza is one of my favourite foods. Michelle has a, um, <laughs> a girl here has an Instagram called yeah. Mips Chips and she rates hot chips all around Victoria. Oh, I have She's to follow like 10, her. got 10,000 followers. Oh, wow. It's been okay. in the Herald Sun. I'm going <laughs> to... Mips even. Chips, I think it's called. Yeah, you'd love it. <laughs> we'll get that after you afterwards, yeah. yeah. Um, cheese is one of my, my favourite foods. I say if I could live on, you know, just charcuterie and... <laughs> Cheese. Man, I only started um, getting into cheese a few years ago. I'm pretty big French on it now. Cheese. <laughs> yeah. Australia makes, you know, makes some okay cheese, but the French do it best. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, there's there's nothing I don't eat. And that's where I, I, I need to acknowledge my privilege in the sense that I live in a country where I have access to that food mm-hmm. and I can afford that food. Mm. Um, I, I earn enough to meet my needs. A lot of people don't, mm-hmm. um, which is something that often that you know wellness industry doesn't acknowledge again. It's... The, on a population level, the, the people that are suffering most nutritionally are the people that can't afford kale smoothies yeah, or activated for sure. almonds. Or, for sure. You know, kale smoothies are expensive Or, or to, to eat paleo. <laughs> yeah, like no, that, for sure. That's for the elite, for the wealthy. For the 1%, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, so in just going back to what's, what's normal, just going back to um, your diet and you said you eat pretty normally. So you've, you've eaten um, toast for breakfast which is a classic. That was me as a, grow- as a kid growing up. Yeah. Vegemite toast every day. Yeah. Um, uh, you're happy to eat cheese, eat chocolate when you want to eat chocolate, meat and two veg kind of scenario, like you said, something, yeah. like, something along those lines. So, Pasta. But, Pasta yeah, yeah. So for that to be normal and for that to be healthy for you, that just means that you don't eat when you're not hungry, you don't emotionally eat, you, you make sure that you have a balanced diet. Like how is... That's cool that it's normal. How yeah. is it a good diet or are you happy that it's just yeah. a normal diet? Like so this is coming back to that. Where I, I used that phrase for the most part before. So this intuitive yeah. eating is, yeah, for the most part, I'm listening to my appetite cues. Yeah. But sometimes I do eat just for the pleasure of eating. Yeah. Um, you know, I may not be hungry. One of the great pleasures. Food, food I'm just eating for the, for the taste of it. Yeah. And there may be times when I overeat depending on what the situation is. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of being comfortable that I'm getting all my nutrition, is if you eat in a way that is <coughs> satisfying. So in the moment, it's satisfying. If you are hungry, you've um, fulfilled that hunger, you've, you've uh, settled that hunger, um, and it feels good in your body. You feel energized. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of the immediate satisfaction, but there's also the longer-term satisfaction. So if you're getting a good balance of food, generally you feel pretty good most of the time. Yeah. Um, that said, that's, you know, again... I don't have any health issues. I don't have any food intolerances. That's yeah. a whole other. That might be a whole other podcast. Yeah. Because um, you know how food intolerance is has been affected by this whole wellness culture as well is is significant. Right. Um, but I keep losing my train. <laughs> Must be dinner time. <laughs> Need a glass of wine. Um, is there <laughs> any truth to? Um, is there any truth to the statement? I've heard people say this before that we'll. I guess there must be going off what you just said, but that mm. good food satiates you quicker. Like, for example, you could you could eat three bags of Doritos in a row, but you couldn't eat three bags of apples. Yes, and there's, you, you there's, want there's, to. there's a there's a, some physiological factors for that too. But um, yeah, it wouldn't be if this is a good example. So when you're hungry, as people reconnect with their physical hunger, usually when we're hungry, we don't actually want to eat Doritos or chocolate. Yeah, we would if there was no other food available. Yeah. But if there's a range of food available, when we actually feel physically hungry, we'd probably prefer to eat, I don't know, a salmon chicken and, and avocado sandwich or salmon and veggies Shit, or an yeah. actual meal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so the body does, you know, when we learn to trust our body, it does crave a variety of food. Another example that a lot of people can relate to is you go away on holidays and you're eating out a lot more and you're drinking a bit more and you, because you're eating out a lot, you may not be eating as many vegetables um, and yeah, you may be hitting the, boo- the booze a bit. And then after like a week, you're like, oh my God, I just want a fruit salad or I just yeah. a salad oh man I felt yeah. like that's so many times and that's times. when you've got that attunement to your body your body will tell yeah. you when you've gone too far oh, or man. when there's not enough of something I've travelled so much through Southeast Asia and Latin America and all these joints that I love and I've I not, I feel like chronic pain for like a beetroot salad yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> you're just like oh my god yeah. or like smashed avocado on, and feta on toast just like stuff yeah. that you know is just way more nourishing than the, than the food that you're eating I, I know that feeling very well yeah. um, interesting so w- we've talked about heaps of stuff here so um, what about 
um, obviously we've talked about lots of negative aspects of what's going on in f food, um, but as I said, we've got um, we've got you know necessity is the mother of invention, and we're quite forward thinking. And, and there's alarm bells going off all around the world, you know, like not enough probably, but the, the alarm bells are getting raised with the way that we eat and 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 the way that we look at our bodies and so forth. It's not not getting talked about. It can always be more, but what would you say like what do you think is going to happen in the future like what would you like to see what, what do you think will this be like in 10 years time what what's the dream scenario uh my dream scenario i was gonna say or it's, just it's a dystopian <laughs> scenario because just what do you think is the future of all okay, this stuff? so my dream scenario is that in 10 years i won't have a job cool because i won't need a job what will you do with yourself <laughs> <laughs> because pete like we shouldn't need to be um you know, asking other people how to eat. It should be something that's innate, that's intuitive yeah. when, you know, within us. Yeah. And that's not going to happen in 10 years though, no. is it really? No. Or I, at all, I do, probably. and I love what I do, so I'd like yeah. to keep doing it. And I don't <laughs> you, think and you, you do need money coming in. you got to remember that part. Yeah, and I, I do work with <laughs> other, joking. you know, uh, food intolerances and things as well where they may not be quite as straightforward. But ultimately, yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, humans shouldn't need to seek professional help with what to eat. Mm. You know, no other animal on this planet needs to, you know, get assistance with what to eat. And we are going back to what I said before about intuitive eating, I always say to my clients, intuitive eating is not something magical that myself or a bunch of other dietitians have made up as an alternative to dieting. Intuitive eating is becoming it's becoming popularized. So, you know, in ten years' time if all diet if if a lot more people understand what intuitive eating is, that would be brilliant. But yes, it's not something magical that we've made up. It's how we're born eating. Mm. It's like the the default way of eating. It's what our body is meant to do is to understand and respond to hunger, hunger and fullness signals. All right, cool. And then, yeah, what are the what are the key steps that we need to we need to get to to get there in your dream scenario? Um, <laughs> we need to destroy the wellness industry. No. Yeah, wow, let's do I it. Should, I should be stage careful. one. <laughs> Bro, lost you podcast. There are hit some. them where it hurts. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, not not the entire wellness industry is. Um, you know, perhaps needs fixing, but a large part of it. Mm. So I think we need to, a key thing is what we need to do is we need to get people to realise that they can trust their own bodies, that they don't need to be asking other people with what to eat and how much to eat, um, that we don't need these quote-unquote superfoods. Yeah. Um, you know, that's just a market, it's a made-up, supermarketing, if you like, mm. term. Market well to me, I love a blueberry. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, if we can get people less reliant on external information mm -hmm. and, and get rid of all that diet noise, if mm -hmm. you like, or all that wellness noise, and actually just go back to basics, if you like, you know, just learn to trust their own bodies again with food, um, and you know, ideally, we would have more people, you know, cooking, preparing more of their own food. But I think that's a that's a shift in the world where just part of evolution that maybe probably not in 10 years and probably not in our lifetime, but there'll be a point where perhaps cooking from scratch is a much less common thing. Yeah, I think so. Um, People seem to just want ease of everything and we're looking, we're going towards all that. So Yeah, and we're a little bit behind in Australia. Last couple of years, I've been to Canada last year and America the year before and you can, uh, ev you can walk into, uh, not obviously any shop, not a clothes shop, but any food <laughs> shop and just really delicious, nutritious, ready-to-eat meals, something you can take home and whack it in the oven or in the microwave. Unreal. Relative, you know, kind of gourmet a little bit yeah. if you like. Um, but we just, we don't kind of have that access yet. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we will. Do you think nutrition should be taught in schools? Even though you just said you don't no. want external. But how would how no. would people get to this point of intuitive eating then? Um, oh, we have to ban the word diet. <laughs> We, I think we need, we need to take the focus off nutrition. So mm. we have overemphasized, when I say we, the Western world, science, yeah. yep. has overemphasized nutrition to the detriment of nutrition. Mm -hmm. Like we know all about these macronutrients and micronutrients, but we actually don't need that information to eat well. Yeah. You know, you look at, you know, the Western world has the greatest nutrition, nutrition knowledge, but the worst eating habits, highest yeah. rates of eating disorders, disordered eating, diet-related um, health issues... So I know you could go to perhaps some little village in Italy or Greece somewhere and they don't have all this information and, you know, they don't have any issue yeah. how to feed themselves. Eating well. well. But often when I say that to people, yeah. then people bring up, yeah, but they don't have access to all this processed food. 
That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, that's another one for round two. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, Zoe, um, um, obviously, um, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Cognizant of the time? Or, I don't know. That's not yeah. the word I was looking for. But uh, before... Aware. Aware. Yeah, I'm aware. That <laughs> sounds... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cognizant sounds very stupid. But um, not trying to sound smart here. Yeah, that's right. Um, but uh, so before we wrap it up, um, where can people find out more about you and what you do and so forth? Cool. Okay. So um, I have a website. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm just going to cough. <laughs> um, no love what you eat. So just, you know... All the W's, lovewhatyouate.com.au. Loads of information on my website. I also run um, lots of social media. So I have, <laughs> there's a Love What You Eat Facebook page um, and Instagram. It is linked to Twitter as well, but that just, I don't tend to use Twitter so much anymore. Yeah, but no I also worries. run, I co founded um, another business called The Moderation Movement with Jodie Arnott, who is, um, was a personal trainer when we started that. And she's gone and done her master's in counseling now because um, she's recognized the need for within the personal training world mm-hmm. you know, for that for that type of thing. So the moderation movement, we started sort of as a page on Facebook, if you like, in 2014 and that just blew up overnight. So we've got over 40,000 um, followers now, which wow. is bad for a little Melbourne you know, outfit. Cool. So, Good job. Um, lots of information <laughs> on there as well. Cool. Unreal. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot for coming in, Zoe. That was really great and My fascinating pleasure. take on health and wellness and... And everything. So, thanks a lot. My pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Cool. That's a wrap. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that show, please subscribe. To subscribe, you can do it on all of your listening devices. You can subscribe at Bill Kurtz TV at YouTube. And (laughs) that's it. Also, don't forget to support our sponsors, yeti.com.au forward slash bro. Check out trueprotein.com.au and use the code BRO there for 10% off. And for 20 hours free of virtual assistant services, head to athena.co, that's A-T-H-Y-N-A.co and use the code BRO when you inquire. Alrighty, see you next week.